You're listening to Comedy Central. October 31st, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. And Hillary Clinton are joining us on the show, everybody. We've got a brand new book. We're going to be chatting about it and everything in the world. Also on tonight's show, the world is burning down. The White House is going to the dogs. And Donald Trump is getting impeached. Yeah, that's right. Give it up for the dogs, yeah. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's begin with the most important news out of Washington today. The Nationals have won the World Series. The Washington Nationals took home their first World Series last night with a riveting 6-2 victory over the Houston Astros in game number seven. Back in D.C., fans celebrated in the rain, including (laughs) that one guy right there who ripped off his shirt and dove across the dugout roof. And what are you feeling tonight? Oh, my God, I love every Nats player. And my dad, I wish you were here. I love you so much. I know you're watching. And they did it! Amazing! You've been uh, such a gracious fan tonight. Tell me what your thoughts are about this World Series win. I think this is huge for D.C. D.C. needed this. We got some asshole in the White House right now. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) Yo, that is hilarious. DC is so political that even it, the drunk sports fans get involved as well. Like, I wonder if there's bar fights in DC where some guy's like, you stepped on my sneaker, I'm gonna beat you like Brown beat the Board of Education, man. <laughs> and look at that reporter's face. I love it, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's the face you make when someone starts using your laptop and you realize you didn't clear your browser history. Whoa! <laughs> and by the way, the guy who ripped off his shirt and jumped on the dugout, that man is my hero. Wouldn't it be great if we could all just express our joy like that all the time? Like, we didn't have to wait for sports. We could just do that at work. We get great news, just rip off our shirts, like, I'm getting a promotion, yeah! And then your boss would be like, I gave you the promotion, yeah! (laughs) All right, but let's move on. Because while last night Washington celebrated together, this morning, it was back to the fights. Historic breaking news. The House of Representatives in a near party line vote approving a resolution formalizing the impeachment inquiry into President Trump and setting the stage for it to go public. Today's resolution permits public hearings, allows staff attorneys to question witnesses, and enables the president or his counsel to participate in the proceedings. That's right. The House of Representatives just took a big step toward impeaching President Trump. And Adam Schiff was so happy, he tore off his shirt and did a body slide down the table. (laughs) Now, before you get too excited, please remember, that this is just a vote to define the rules for the process of impeachment, right? They still have to vote on impeachment. Then they vote on the rules for the impeachment trial. Then they vote on whether or not to convict. Yeah, by the time this is all over, the Democrats are gonna march into the White House like, Mr. Trump, you've... Wait, where's Trump? What happened? And the woman will be like, his term ended 20 years ago. Be like, oh, well, sorry to bother you, President Kim Kardashian. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. Goodbye. Seriously, there's like so many steps 
before you can actually punish an American president. Congress impeaches presidents like white parents discipline their kids. Young man, if you don't listen, I'm gonna tell you again. <laughs> and then if you don't, I'm gonna talk to your father and, and we're gonna talk with our therapist. <laughs> yeah, although I guess all those white kids grew up around the country, so maybe it's the right approach, I don't know. <laughs> and finally, we may not know how much longer Trump will be in office, but if he makes it to next week, he'll get a chance to meet a very good boy. The military dog wounded in the raid on ISIS leader Baghdadi is headed to the White House. President Trump tweeting this photoshopped image of the canine. The dog was a key part of the Baghdadi raid, cornering the terrorist in a tunnel before the terrorist, of course, blew himself up. The canine is expected to be in Washington sometime next week. Yes, Conan the hero dog is headed to the White House, and that is going to be amazing. Although it might get awkward when he sniffs out someone's secret stash of weed. He's gonna be like, how else am I supposed to make it through the day? <laughs> Hashtag be baked. <laughs> but I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that Trump invited the dog. Cause like Trump probably loves this dog, right? Cause the dog has all the traits Trump values. It's completely loyal. It won't leak to the press. And they both love giving surprise leg humps. It's just that kind of vibe. <laughs> all right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> If you've been keeping up with international news, you probably know that lately the world has been crazier than Rudy Giuliani on LSD. <laughs> to be honest, there's so many protests going on around the world right now that we just don't have the time to cover them all. Luckily for us, not enough time is just the right amount of time for a segment we call Ain't Nobody Got Time For That. <laughs> all right, let's kick it off in Hong Kong, where the pro-democracy protesters are also getting into the Halloween spirits. Well, to Hong Kong now, where police fired tear gas to break up protests on the Halloween holiday. Crowds of protesters blocked a major road before police came in. The anti-government demonstrations targeted a popular party district in the city for the first time. Well, at times, the protesters blended in with people wearing Halloween costumes. Protesters and partygoers alike were not deterred by a city-wide ban on face masks. Okay, you gotta admit, that's a pretty genius move for the protesters to blend in with regular people celebrating Halloween. Yeah, because the police can't tell the difference between protesters and trick-or-treaters. Yeah, sort of like starting a fight club in the middle of Boston. You don't know, is this an illegal fight? <laughs> or just the usual Dunkin' Donuts parking lot fight? You don't know. Now, what's interesting is that the protests in Hong Kong originally began because of an extradition bill, but now they've snowballed into a protest about Chinese rule over Hong Kong in general. Because you see, protests are a lot like arguments in relationships. You say it's about the dishes, but really it's about something bigger. You know, like you don't communicate well, or you hooked up with your mother-in-law, you know? <laughs> yeah, you said I should get along with her. <laughs> now, if we had more time, we could talk more about the difficulty they had reintegrating post-colonial Hong Kong into mainland China, but we don't have the time because Hong Kong isn't the only region trying to move out of its parents' house. Barcelona, Spain saw more than half a million pro-independence protesters last week. They're frustrated over the jailing of nine Catalan politicians for their role in the Catalonia independence movement two years ago. They don't speak for the majority because the independence support, the support for independence is not majoritarian. Yes, Spain is in turmoil right now because the region of Catalonia is demanding its independence. 
And the chaos has been non-stop, although it is Spain, so they take a little siesta in the middle of the fights. That's <laughs> what they do. I'll be protesting in my dreams. <sighs> ah! Ah! <laughs> now, if this feels like deja vu for you, you're not wrong. Barcelona experiences these protests every couple of years. In many ways, independence movements are like movies about the Joker. You think they're over, and then boom, there's a new one about a guy who hates climbing steps. I haven't seen it yet. I think that's what this is about. (laughs) Now, with more time, we could get into how this independence movement is driven by Catalonia's feeling that they pay a lot more in taxes than they get back from the central government. But no tenemos tiempo, because over in the Caribbean, the country of Haiti is running out of gas and patience. A crippling fuel shortage is sparking protests in Haiti. Gas stations have been on empty for days. Thousands have taken to the streets to demand the president stand down. Catholic church leaders have joined protesters calling for political reform. Thousands took part in a peaceful rally in the capital, Port-au-Prince. Yes, over in Haiti, a severe fuel shortage has sparked one of the nation's largest protests. And although the music and dancing may confuse you, this is a protest. No, because I know there's at least one white couple there on vacation that's like, look, honey, it must be carnival. (laughs) Throw me some beads. (laughs) That's what I love about being black. I'm not gonna lie. Even our protests have rhythm. Like, those people are fighting, and it's like... Yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but Soul Train started as a protest against bike lanes. That's how it all began. (laughs) And by the way, if I were in Haiti's government, I'd be very afraid that the Catholic Church has now joined this protest. Because nobody holds a grudge like the Catholic Church. I mean, it's been like 6,000 years, and they're still mad at that snake. They don't play around out there. Yeah. You're like, he gave someone an apple. Move on already. And on a day with more time, we could delve into how these protests in Haiti aren't just about fuel, but also about rampant corruption across the Haitian government. But we just don't have the time. Because anti-government protests are even hitting one of the most stable countries in Latin America, Chile. In Chile, a 4% rise in subway fares was enough to bring a million people to the streets. Stores and subway stations torched. The government forced to declare a state of emergency. While people were in the streets in Chile, the Chilean president was seen dining at an upscale restaurant. These are the type of things that seem to make people crazy. Yep. While the Chilean people are protesting about not being able to afford basic services, the president was dining at a fancy restaurant. Talk about being tone deaf. You can't be eating fancy food in front of your struggling people. You should be using Uber Eats. You get that shit delivered. Come on. (laughs) Now, the frustration in Chile reached a tipping point when the government announced an increase in subway fares, which makes sense, right? These types of moves always affect the working class more because rich people don't need public transportation. They don't know what it's like to be stuck on a hot crowded train uh, sitting next to a subway masturbator. They don't know. No. <laughs> no, rich people, they take those fancy limousines with air conditioning and they sit next to a fancy limousine masturbator. Ooh la la. <laughs> now, if we had more time, we could talk about how Chile shows that civil unrest is an inevitable byproduct of extreme inequality, but we can't get into that because we have to make time for one of the biggest protests in the Middle East, where the people of Lebanon took to the streets to demand the removal of their prime minister because they accused him of enriching himself at the expense of his citizens. Now, the demonstrations have gotten so intense that the prime minister has stepped down. But one of the most heartwarming things that happened was when a mother and her child found themselves surrounded by protesters. And the protesters noticed the child in the car was freaked out, and they worked to make things right. Protesters outraged over Lebanon's crumbling economy completely changed their tune when they encountered a mother who said her 15-month-old son was scared. 
Right in the middle of a protest, a spontaneous rendition of Baby Shark. Oh man, that is so adorable. The only problem is now that song is gonna be stuck in the protesters' heads. It's gonna ruin the rest of the protest. They'll be like, Lebanon, do 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 do, we want reforms, do 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 do, lower tax, do 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 do, you're corrupt. Now you may have noticed that all these protests all over the globe have things in common. Corrupt governments, social inequality, and ineffective leadership, which might be a warning to all the leaders of the world. If you don't start really listening to your people soon, they might not have time for you either. We'll be right back. two remarkable women who together have written a book called The Book of Gutsy Women, favorite stories of courage and resilience. Please welcome former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton and Chelsea Clinton. Does this ever get, like, tired, just walking around <laughs> and people cheering for you when you walk into rooms? Well, I cheer for her. <laughs> you cheer for her? I mean, why not? <laughs> just, like, solo yeah. standing ovations? Well, it, yeah. is, it is Halloween night, so I think there's a lot of energy in no, the No, 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 I, th I think you get this. I've, I've watched videos of you walking into restaurants together as a family. I've seen you walking in alone. I see there seems to be this feeling where you walk around the country and people go, it's a little bit of, like, oh, but it's also, like, yay! <laughs> like, that, that's, that's a cool feel. It, it's, I mean, it's not the presidency, but it's a cool consolation prize, well, no? Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it does um, make up for it. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chelsea, thank you very much for being here. You came from trick-or-treating, like, did. now. Yes. <laughs> you literally just went trick-or-treating. Literally. But you didn't, you didn't dress up as any, you just took the kids trick-or-treating. I took the kids. Um, we had a Moana. Right. <laughs> uh, a clock striking midnight from Cinderella. Okay. And a pumpkin. Oh, I like this. I like <laughs> yeah. this. And did the pumpkin anybody, didn't choose. Because, like, if you, old, if you came to my door shows. on Halloween, yes. I'd be like, oh, my God, you, you dress as Chelsea Clinton. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I've never really thought that I have, like, a built-in Halloween yes, costume. Yes, you have a built-in <laughs> Halloween yeah. costume. Where people, Chelsea Clinton, you're like, no, it's good makeup, yeah, though, right? Yeah, yeah it's hey, a good... Hey. Um, you know, sometimes people will say to us, you know, do you know you look just like Hillary Clinton? And I say, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me um, say, first of all, congratulations on a phenomenal book. I didn't know what to expect. The Book of Gutsy Women. I didn't know if it was going to be a book about American women, a book about political women, but it, it's just a book about women who have changed not just their world, but the world in some way, shape, or form. What's interesting is that you wrote it together. You've written many books separately, but this was your first book writing together. As a mother and daughter, as someone who's written a book without my mother, I cannot imagine what it would be like <laughs> to write something with <laughs> my mother. How do is you, that why you're staring how at me so intently? How do you not hate each other at this point? What was the process like? Uh, it was a lot of fun. It also did take some adjustment. Um, because uh, my mother still writes longhand. Like 
like yes. writes out yes. the words. Although I said this at an event, and I could see uh, like a teenager up in the rafters turn to his mother and say, "What's long?" Because <laughs> oh, there's a generation that goes like, yeah. what, "What is, what that? is that?" Writing the words out with a yes. pen and no autocorrect. No, and like no ability to track changes or have comment boxes. Right, and you're doing it like, are you doing it on computer and yes. like a? Like 2019. So how do you? <laughs> <laughs> so how do you compare the notes then? When when you like, do you do you, do you bring the longhand into the digital, or do you do, do you like give it to her and be like, you longhand my work? Well, so my mother would take photographs of like each page, wow. and then text or email me the photographs of the page. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So. Like when we were particularly working on the things that we wrote together, like we write about Rosa Parks and Claudette Colvin together. Yes. So I would like type my Claudette Colvin essay and send it to her as an attachment, like a Word document. And she would take pictures of like each individual page of her Rosa Parks essay and like send me like page one. I can feel your frustration as you're telling me this story. <laughs> I'm can, still working through it. This is, this is nice. Yeah. I, can, I can feel that. Um, <laughs> why did you choose to write this book together? I mean, you've had many opportunities. You could have written about anything, your family, politics, your life. But this is a specific book and it feels like for a specific time. Why? Because we really believe that uh, in today's world, uh, the stories of gutsy women, and literally there are many millions of them, but we chose 103 uh, to write about uh, because their stories tell us, yes, about the struggles that they endured and their persistence to try to improve their own lives and the lives of people around them. But mm -hmm. I think, especially in today's world, we need to be reminded of these kinds of stories. Uh, and they are historic and contemporary and even a few fictional. And they were women who inspired me as a little girl and then throughout my life, and the same with Chelsea. And in fact, we started talking about you know inspirational women when she was a little girl. And so we want to share these stories and we hope that people can find some, uh, some message uh, that will help them, right. uh, especially you know, given the difficulties that a lot of a lot of people around the world face right now. It's interesting, Chelsea, because you, you've said, you know, there was a time in your life when you watched your mom running for president and there were more women in space than running for president. Two. Right. <laughs> and now you, you have a plethora of women. I mean, you have six in the race and you've seen how many women participated in, in the midterms and won as well. Do you feel like we're noticing a shift in society that's positively moving us to a place where there's equality? Not there yet, but just moving us in that direction? I think we're absolutely making progress. I also really appreciate how you framed the question, Trevor, because it's super important that we don't get complacent mm -hmm. and that we also understand still how far we have to go. I mean, even though we had an unprecedented number of women run for Congress in 2018, we were still less than a quarter of all declared candidates. Wow. So making progress, but we still have a long ways to go to get to parity. But as we've seen, like who runs for office really matters because it determines who holds office. And right. I'm so thrilled that my children are growing up with the most diverse Congress in American history. You have chosen 103 women in this book who all have different stories of being gutsy, but what would you find was the common thread that made them who they are? One, I think the sense of just deep purpose, sometimes something that they knew from when they were a little girl, like Jane Goodall always knew she wanted to work with animals and Sally Ride, kind of the first American woman in space, um, really became a physicist because she wasn't a good enough tennis player. So she kind of found her passion later in life. But what is so distinctive about all these women is that they brought others along with them sometimes consciously breaking down barriers and sometimes just really aware of their example. And I find that really powerful and gutsy that it wasn't just for themselves, it was for others too. 
It's a beautiful book. We'll be talking more about it and the both of you when we come back from the break. We'll be back with more from Chelsea and Secretary Clinton. Don't go away. Clinton and Chelsea Clinton, who co-wrote the book of Gutsy Women. Um, Hillary, I have to ask you a question that has been plaguing me for a while. How did you kill Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> because you, you... You're not in power, but you have all the power. <laughs> I, I really need to understand how you do what you do. <laughs> Because you seem to be behind everything nefarious, and yet you do not use it to become president. <laughs> what is the game plan? <laughs> well, Trevor. What is, what, but honestly, though, what does it feel like being the boogeyman of the right? Well, it's, it's a constant surprise to me. <laughs> um, because the things they say, and now, of course, it's on steroids with uh, being online, uh, are so ridiculous beyond any imagination that I could have, and yet they are so persistent in putting forth these crazy uh, ideas and theories. Honestly, I don't know what I ever did to get them so upset, uh, but a lot of them live to come up with these conspiracy uh, theories, and you know I've gotten kind of used to it. It's been going on for a number of years. Have you have you ever thought of just like meeting someone who says, like, Hillary, you did this, and just looking at them and being like, yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 there must be... At some, some point. Right, at some yeah, point. At some it, point. It, it becomes so ludicrous and it becomes so extreme. Well, I've, but, ha I've, had, I've had encounters like that, and, and many of my friends have had, because they... Wow. Yeah, they've called up people to urge them to, like, vote for me, or they've knocked on a door, and somebody will say, oh, I couldn't do that, because and then they launch into one of their big conspiracies. And I had one friend, one very dear friend, who I literally have known my entire life. And she said she listened to this ridiculous uh, conspiracy about me. And she said, you know, I've known her since we were in sixth grade, and none of that is true. And this man looked at her and said, but I saw it on the internet. <laughs> but I also think it's because it is effective. Like, I'll never forget reading an article after the 2016 election where the reporter interviewed someone who had been an undecided voter, and he said, you know, he thought my mom had won all three debates, she clearly had a greater command of the subject matter, and yet he just kept reading that she had murdered more than 50 people. <laughs> and he said somewhat nonchalantly, like, I don't think that she murdered 50, <laughs> but, like, what if she murdered two? <laughs> and so you just think it's this, like, constant erosion of of truth and sanity. Right. But my favorite, and the one that I do secretly hope may be true, is that my mother apparently adopted an alien in 1993. <laughs> and I've always wanted a sibling. So <laughs> I hope maybe, maybe that one will prove but out you, at some but point. But you know, Trevor, it, it's, you have to laugh at it because it's so crazy. But on the other hand, we face a serious problem of a lot of these falsehoods and these crazy stories uh, taking on lives of their own, uh, not about me, but about everybody, right. and particularly anybody in the public arena. And I have been uh, very outspoken about the decision by Facebook to allow truly false political ads to be run. I want to applaud Twitter for announcing they were not going to let that uh, go forward. And I hope, 
Um, I really hope Facebook changes their mind because more than half the people in America get their news from Facebook. And right. you. I right. mean, that's the combination. Well, but, yeah. no, but Facebook, yeah. but Facebook is, is, is a real issue. And we are living in a world where people no longer know what truth is and don't even agree on it, which, which seems to be a larger issue. You've witnessed the change in politics through many different times. Uh, in fact, we're in an interesting period now where the country's gearing up for impeachment, mm -hmm. and you are in an interesting position where in your life, you have been literally a part of every single impeachment in some way, shape, or form. You had the Watergate investigations that mm -hmm. you were a part of. Mm -hmm. You then had your husband who was mm -hmm. impeached, and now your political opponent is getting impeached. Mm -hmm. Do you have the impeachment touch? Is this like a thing? <laughs> You know, um, I wasn't part of Andrew Johnson, but you know, other, <laughs> other than that, yes. um, it, it is a, a strange perspective to have um, because I was a young lawyer uh, investigating Richard Nixon. And I am very pleased that the House today is proceeding in such a deliberative manner. Uh, they had that vote uh, today about the procedures because that's what happened in 1974. Mm -hmm. At first, the American people looked at uh, the idea that Nixon would be impeached after he won a massive landslide in right. 1972. And they thought, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. But as the evidence came out, and we were literally working 18 hours a day, compiling evidence, making you know, the legal uh, arguments, the constitutional arguments. And finally, people realized that, yeah, obstruction of justice, abuse of power, contempt of Congress are not what we want to turn a blind eye to in our country. We need checks and balances. It's one of the reasons why the rule of law is at the core of our democracy. So I know the difference um, about how the House's power is supposed to work, because mm -hmm. I was part of seeing it work, uh, I believe, in the right way. One of the people we profile is Barbara Jordan, who, if you go to YouTube, you can see her uh, a speech when she voted on the Articles of Impeachment in 1974 with her defense of the Constitution. And so I'm hoping that now that uh, this is going to move toward public hearings where people can see these witnesses in person, they can be like a juror themselves trying right. to decide, uh, that uh, the American people will you know, make a very uh, careful study of what they're being told. Because the founders put impeachment in the Constitution for a reason. Uh, we have elections, but in between elections, if there's behavior that is undermining our country, endangering our national security, as the allegations here are, uh, it's an extraordinary remedy, but one that has to be exercised in a sober, careful way. It's interesting because America's in a place where it feels like this process and procedure will be tested more than ever before because of how partisan America has become, mm -hmm. because of how, you know, toxic politics in America has become. And I, I was interested, Chelsea, because I've noticed a lot of people have asked you why you aren't running for an open seat in Chappaqua. You are a resident of New York State. There is a seat that is open, and you have the ability to take that seat, in many people's opinion. And you've often said, no, there's other young people who could take it. And everyone said, yes, but you would definitely, you know, take that seat, and you would run with it, and you've said you are interested in changing people's lives. Do you have a hesit he hesitancy to engage in politics because of how your mom has been treated in her life? No, um, because I see her get up every day and still engage. And so for me, the decision to not even think about kind of running for the seat that Congresswoman Nita Lowy will leave uh, at the end of next year is more about an affirmation of what I'm doing now. Um, and I'm thrilled that there are already so many people who have thrown their hats into the ring. And I hope that young people don't 
kind of see the toxicity in this moment and turn away from it. I hope they see it and say, I want to change that. And I want to get back to a place of science and evidence-based decisions and respect for our democracy and respect for the rule of law. So I hope people take it uh, perversely as an opportunity right. um, for what must be different and then be part of the change of doing that. You know, because it hasn't, you know, it hasn't always been like that. We've had part of partisanship from the very beginning, but there's also been a lot of effort to find common ground. So back to the Nixon impeachment, when the articles of impeachment were voted on, members of uh, the Republican Party in the Congress voted for one uh, or more of them. So there has been uh, many times, we write about uh, Margaret Chase Smith, a Republican woman senator from Maine, who was the first member of her party to stand up to Joseph McCarthy in the early 1950s. So we've had not only people, but a consensus around what it is we're trying to protect and mm -hmm. cherish. and. So I can hope that maybe there'll be enough people who make their decision not on you know, protecting the president, but protecting the country. Uh, either way, they end up. It's interesting because many of the, the, the women you've written about in the book also share one common trait, and that is the obstacles they had to overcome often included being accused of things or being scrutinized in a way that was not similar to the men around them, to their male counterparts. How would you respond to a Trump supporter if they took the time to listen to you and said, Hillary, I don't think it's fair that Trump is going to be impeached for getting information from Ukraine when your team engaged in Russian information through, uh, you know, the, coal, the, the, the team that worked on that side on the steel dossier. How do you respond to that person mm -hmm. when they say, mm -hmm. you engaged in foreign information on a political rival, Trump did the same, what is the difference? There's a huge difference. Um, you know, if you look at the power that the president holds, the president is in a position to use American leverage and credibility to achieve the goals of our nation. So I could imagine, no, I, I could imagine a conversation where a president would say to the president of Ukraine, you're new at the job. One of the things that has held you back is corruption. We want to help you fight corruption, but we want evidence that you are really dedicated to fighting corruption. Right. If that's all that had been said, there's nothing wrong with that. As Secretary of State, I used to go and visit leaders and say, you know, one of your biggest problems is you've got rampant corruption. It's in your family. It's in your people around you. You've got to deal with it. But that's not what happened. And we now have not only the whistleblower and the alleged uh, incomplete transcript, we mm -hmm. now have a lot of witnesses who are all saying this was about helping the president himself. He is acting as the president. He's not a political candidate. Right. He is not a private citizen. He's the president. And he, he now said, works for the United States. He, he works for the United States. And we don't want to squander our credibility. So if other countries see this, as they clearly are, that this president really could care less about Ukraine, could care less whether it becomes a stable country, could care less whether it's able to defend itself against Russia, all he wants is for them to manufacture some kind of damaging information about the person he thinks is his likely opponent, Joe Biden. So there's a huge difference. I mean, people can gather you know, information in you know, all kinds of different ways, but when you combine it with that quid pro quo that existed uh, in that conversation, which has now been verified repeatedly by mm -hmm. people who were in the room, people who were under pressure, 
to deprive the Ukrainians of military aid so they could defend themselves. There's an act of war going on in eastern Ukraine. The Russians and their proxies are still killing Ukrainians. And so what this president has basically done is say, I don't care. I don't care about any of that. I just need some dirt. And I don't care if you make it up. You know, in order to get military aid, you've got to give me something on Joe Biden and his son. It really does seem like Trump has taken uh, an unconventional uh, approach, at the, to say the least, in international affairs. He's been very explicit in saying it's America first and that's all I care about. Syria has been an interesting case. And, and as a former secretary, you, you have the ability to speak to this with a, an in-depth knowledge. Trump said, I pulled the troops out because it's time for America to leave these endless wars. Everyone spoke out against Trump for doing this. But it was one of your former ambassadors, Robert Ford, who said at one point that the alliance with the Kurds was never meant to be permanent. It was just meant to be a temporary coming together because both sides wanted to beat ISIS mm -hmm. and they weren't allies of all time. What do you think is the more correct approach then? Look, I, I don't think his real philosophy is America first. I think it's Trump first. And he judges everything as to how it will help him. And perhaps he impulsively decided that bringing our troops home uh, was good for him politically. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be how he is justifying it. But let's assume we had uh, a president who uh, was interested in achieving that goal in a defensible way. Here's what could have happened. He could have very well have said to the people who know something about Syria, the Kurds, the Turks, and others, and said, you know, we need to start a process uh, in order to figure out how we can protect the Kurds, who have been our allies. Maybe not for all time, but they sure have been sacrificing uh, on behalf of our objective to drive the Islamic State out of Syria. And we know they're holding tens of thousands of prisoners right. uh, for us. So let's not leave them uh, to their fates. Let's figure out how we work with the Turks who are worried about their border. Let's see how we work with the Kurds. Let's use the leverage we have because we still have troops that are special forces who mm -hmm. are working uh, alongside the Kurds. And let's figure out how we're going to make this happen. Instead of just waking up and walking to the South Lawn of the White House and say, we're bringing all our troops home and I've talked to President Erdogan. And since we don't know what he says on these calls, for all we know, it could be, hey, um, you know, President Erdogan, uh, we're going to take the, our troops out. What do you have on Joe Biden? We don't know. Right. And that's what's so frightening about what's happening, because he has an affinity for dictators. Uh -huh. uh, he's clearly misjudged uh, the North Koreans. Uh, Kim Jong-un has been firing missiles and obviously not uh, behaving the way that a meeting with the president should have uh, led him to. He clearly does Putin's bidding. I mean, Putin could not be happier to have the Ukrainians caught up in this while right. he continues to, you know, eat away at their country and their sovereignty. The Russians have a huge amount of influence now in the Middle East because they're right there in uh, Syria alongside the Iranians and propping up the Assad government. So there's a lot of moving pieces on this complex chessboard. And I've been in a White House uh, situation room where the president was demanding information, not acting on impulse, right. where we were running through different scenarios, where we had to be constantly testing our opinions against others in order to give the president the best advice. That is not happening in this White House. It is, unfortunately, 
uh, unpredictable about what he will do next. So therefore, other countries, particularly ones adversarial to us, are going around the world saying, you can't, you can't count on America anymore. Right. You know, count on us. We'll sell you arms, not the Americans. We'll make deals with you, not the Americans. We'll have investments in your country, not the Americans. And it's a tragedy because um, I think we were really well positioned uh, at the end of the Obama administration to keep building on our leadership. And I think that's been uh, squandered under this president. Let me ask you one question before we wrap it up. The Book of Gutsy Women talks about women who have done something amazing throughout time. One thing that we can't deny has changed throughout time has been politics and the way we see the world. I've always been fascinated as to your relationship. You know, you are, you are your mother's daughter, yes, but you are younger than her. Are there ever political ideas or, you know, conversations you have where you don't agree or you've changed how you see an idea because of your age difference? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I think um, most notably on gay marriage and equal marriage rights, uh, which is something that we talked about extensively. Wow. Um, throughout years. And I'm really grateful and proud of my mom for her shift to being just a dogged, determined, not only supporter, but advocate for equal marriage rights. So you were like in the house and you were like, Mom. Get gay rights going, come on. I mean, it's like a weird fight to be having with your mom. I'm not, it's like, I was like, I want to go to a party and you were like, mom, gay people need to get married. Go to your room, young lady. That's pretty wild. I mean, well, Chelsea yes, was, but hopefully in a nicer tone. Yeah. But Chelsea was, you know, really one of the strong uh, voices on behalf of uh, gay marriage here in New York. Um, she, you know, gave lots of speeches. She was part of a group uh, of leaders that were mm -hmm. advocating for it. And, you know, I really respect and, and listen to her about all kinds of things. And this was something that uh, made a lot of sense to me, especially because she had such passion about it. Well, I'll tell you this. It is a book of gutsy women written by two of the gutsiest. Thank you so much for being on the Thank show. You, Trevor. Thank Wonderful you. having Thank you here. You. The book of gutsy women is available now. Secretary Hillary Rodham Clinton and Chelsea Clinton, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.